0: AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T ThreatTrack for November 15th, 2016. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. Today, we're joined online by Jim Clausing. He's a security and forensics analyst on our team here. And Jim, welcome to the program. And uh, I've got a question for you. Have you been out on the bike lately?
1: I was out on the bike twice last week. Uh, It's a little chilly and damp or out there now, but I think I'll be out there later this week.
0: Yeah. All right, very good got to keep up with it, you know, we're not getting any younger, so we have to keep out and, uh, Absolutely. Out, you know, pushing those pedals a little bit harder to uh, to keep up with things. So, glad to hear it. And welcome to the program, Jim. And we have Colin Conner here. Welcome, Colin. And uh, you lead our security incident response team, and you've come from the DirecTV family and mm-hmm. are working your way and is a part of the big collective AT&T family. So, welcome. Thank you. So, and... Uh, well, it's good to have you here. You're usually out in Colorado. So.
2: Correct, yeah. So you joining us here in New Jersey. Yeah, we've not had our, our first big snow yet. Um, I come this morning, and it's raining. We've not had rain in a week, so hopefully I can bring some of that cold and um, <laughs> wet weather back to Colorado, and um, we can get to skiing, snowboarding, again yeah. soon.
0: From what I had seen, actually, the cold is up in the Midwest, northern Midwest, and kind of working its way this direction, mm-hmm. so um, I'm not real optimistic you're going to be dragging some of that wet home. but. Hopefully, we'll get some good skiing weather out in Colorado a little later in the season. Yeah, that would be great. And I'm Brian Rexroad. And, uh, well, let's go to the first story here. And uh, first one, actually, this is one that uh, I think a lot of folks that are working in the uh, virtual machine space are going to be paying attention to here, Jim. So uh, tell us what you found.
1: This one has been reported the last couple of days. Um, Last week, there was a, a security conference in South Korea called the Power of Community. And as part of that, they had their 2016 PwnFest. And in, as part of this PwnFest, various uh, security researchers tried to attack various products and could win money if they were able to break into to certain products. This one particular group earned almost $300,000. They earned $140,000 for hacking into Windows Edge browser, which is the new browser in Windows 10. And they earned $150,000 for uh, managing a, a virtual machine escape in VMware Workstation and Fusion. Wow. For those of us who use Workstation and Fusion a lot, like me and most other security researchers, you know, we like to keep virtual machines around to do some of our malware analysis. This is kind of a worrisome deal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: VMware actually put out two updates to both Workstation and Fusion within the space of uh, four or five days in the last week, week and a half. Uh, so they have actually fixed the, the vulnerability that was exploited here. Um, Which is a good thing. I'm not aware that the exploit or chain of exploits was ever seen in the wild, but this is a a big deal. If you run Workstation or Fusion, make sure that you're up to Workstation 12.5.2 or Fusion, I believe it's Mm 8.5.2. There is also some mitigation if you can't, for some reason, update to it. If you turn off drag and drop, you know, which allows you to drag a file from your desktop onto the virtual machine or vice versa, and the um, copy and paste
2: mm-hmm.
1: that allows you to share clipboard stuff between your host and the guest, um, then this then these vulnerabilities don't work. Uh, It does not affect ESX, so it doesn't affect things like HVD's hosted virtual desktops, which we're seeing a lot more of in enterprises these days. Um, ESX was not in any way affected, uh, but Workstation and uh, Fusion, so Workstation on Windows or Mac, both were affected. Both were updated in in the last week and a half.
0: Okay. So I, I'm I'm uh, I'm fascinated actually by these prizes because they are pretty sizable prizes as opposed for this type of activity. But I have to think that if uh, cyber um, attacks were a spectator sport, these would be in the tens of millions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and these yeah these were sizable prizes because. You know the ability to break out of a virtual machine is, you know, the holy grail for, you know, attacking virtualization infrastructure. To be able to break out of the virtual machine and attack the host or the hypervisor, uh, you know, that's what the attackers are looking for. The ability to to spread, you know, move beyond and spread. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so, so yeah, wow.
1: they, these are a big deal, and that was a decent sized prize yeah. wouldn't, i wouldn't mind having that kind of money <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I yeah absolutely i'm um, uh, it'd be interesting to and it, do you have any perspective on how much effort how much time they had to put into being able to uh, to do that i am expecting that there would have been some preparation or homework they had to do prior
1: yes actually uh the guys who did the the vmware break in uh, in one of the stories, I saw that they had been working on it for about six months.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, put in the perspective, and it's multiple people, you know, splitting across them. I mean, it's 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 not jump change. It's certainly a, a sizable prize, and I'm glad they're rewarded for their effort because if they hadn't been, uh, then it all goes to the bad guys. All right, very good, Jen. Thanks for bringing that to us, uh, Colin. We'll go to you here and uh, new. DDoS attack vector has Mm -hmm. been uh, basically discovered and and published. I guess we're not really sure to what extent this is being used in the wild. Um, We haven't really seen anything that's been, I would describe as notable at this point, but certainly one to be paying attention to. So, tell us. Correct, Um, so just to be clear, this is a denial of
2: service attack, Um, not a distributed, um, a single laptop um, could actually um, um, initiate this. um, Some mobile testing, Um, the mobile devices weren't quite um, able to um, produce enough um, traffic to um, um, be effective but um, a single laptop um, is definitely worth the report. um, Probably not my laptop. It it may be. It may be. So anyways, details of the attack, um, this is discovered by the SOC um, uh, Danish Telecom Operator TDC. Um, It uses ICMP um, destination and reachable messages, um, so specifically ICMP Type 3 Code 3 for those network gurus out there. Um, ICM Type 3 um, is also used for um, path MTU discovery. So it's it's opened in firewalls and that's kind of where the dilemma comes, Mm -hmm. is that um, there's specific rules that allow things in there um, and path MTU becomes um, very useful. For um, um, efficiency, effective communication for IPsec, PPTP, and other VPN type technologies to try to figure out how much bandwidth, how many packets, they, how much data they can shove in a single packet. Mm-hmm. Um, that surprisingly, that um, this um, attack, and you know, like I said, from a single laptop, single system, um, 20 megabits um, um, per second is fairly effective to be. Um, taking down some of the major vendors the Cisco's sonic walls Palo Altos um, so it's quite surprising that um, you know you could have gigabit 10 gigabit interfaces but even you know 20 megabit of, of those traffic sustained can um, um, cause what what really happens is the CPU begins to spike and then it just you know can't keep up with the traffic and um, um, there's evidence as well that logging um, has some additional effects mm-hmm. on um, um, the CPU. Of course, you have to do more; that um, um, you um, uh, have to. Um, you can't you can't process as much traffic. Um, that um, it's it's quite surprising that uh, there's multiple vendors involved here. Um, It's you know not clear of if it's common coding or if it's um, a common library or what may um, you know span multiple vendors. A lot of times we see vulnerabilities just by a single vendor. Mm -hmm. Um, As you mentioned, Brian, um, we've not seen um, um, this behavior in um, overall AT and T backbone. Um, Definitely some backscatter from some some DDoS attacks um, um, and some ICMP traffic, but nothing that's clear um, Mm -hmm. clearly. um, um, attacks from our data mm-hmm. um, the um, TDC you know was you know saw the spike in traffic uh, the data Danish telecom and, and investigated further you know with packet captures and were able to reproduce the behavior um, not with the standard ping that we have but a very similar tool that can generate these ICMP type three messages and um, so they um, have a detailed report on the web that you can look and um, they show different um, you know like I said. You know, even a mobile device they tested to see how um, it can uh, be effective or not mm-hmm. uh, in this attack. Mitigation to some extent is fairly simple. Um, block the specific IP, IC, ICMP if you can. Um, the major vendors of course have patches out and as always you know your anti-DDoS
0: um, service is going to be able to um, help rate limit or otherwise control these kind of situations. Right. Well even beyond a a DDoS service I mean typically you're going to need a DDoS service because as you pointed out this might be possible with a single IP address but Mm -hmm. generally speaking if you see this in the wild it's most likely going to be a number of source addresses Mm -hmm. that are showing. and they might be even spoofing the address so you might not Mm -hmm. know exactly where it's coming from so the mitigation service is going to be pretty important to be able to uh, get that under control, filter out the bad stuff. Um, I think, Jim, as you'd suggested earlier, perhaps rate limiting is a, a good approach because in some cases you actually do want these messages to go right. through, but you certainly don't need you know tens of thousands of packets per second uh, going through. You really only need one for the system to basically be able to calibrate the right.
1: For that, if you can rate limit the the Type 3, you know, Code 3, mm-hmm. um, uh, in front of the the firewall device Mm -hmm. because as you said, you know, those aren't, those aren't packets that you're going to see that you would expect to see Mm -hmm. tens of megabits per second. You'd expect to see a handful, Mm -hmm. you know, right. uh, So, you know, rate limit those. Um, but you know, you, you don't want to just block all the ICMP type threes because, as Colin said, the, the type 3 code 4, uh, the fragmentation needed, but dump fragment bit was set, is what we use for path MTU discovery for figuring out, as as you said, the largest amount of data you can shove in a single packet without mm-hmm. causing it to fragment. So, uh, And then the other the other thing to, to note is there are, um, while this did affect some of the Cisco ASAs uh, the bigger ones were less affected you know those that have right. uh, multiple cores were less affected obviously they got more computing power so to affect them would have required you know another, another laptop. additional another factor laptop. of traffic <laughs> but yeah. you know the the report on there shows the Hping command which is a a tool I've used for 10 years for packet crafting in pen tests and so forth. It's very simple to, to right. create it, yeah. the amount of traffic that would be needed. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah, generating this traffic is not going to be a big challenge for, a, for an attacker. So that, that's uh, obviously uh, something to be taken into, into account. So uh, the mitigation platform, I think, as you suggested, Jim, the, uh, perhaps the router upstream would be a good place to put some rate limiting in place, and perhaps have that ahead of time, and then maybe alert on any uh, indications of um, you know uh, of the rate limit being hit, and that would perhaps give you some insight that might be, somebody might be uh, uh, trying to attack you. At perhaps lower bandwidths than a mitigation provider might be able to uh, ascertain is As if you're normally getting you know 100 megabits per second of traffic, and somebody top you know puts a little bit of. Uh, mm-hmm you know, uh, uh, 20 megabits of um, ICMP3 on top of that, it might not show up so easily if you don't have some means of picking up on it. So uh, anyway, those are perhaps some good practices to have some insight into what's going on in your network ahead of time and pick up on any anomalies that show up.
1: You know, in the internet weather report, we often see that ICMP traffic in that second pie chart and we kind of ignore it is being backscatter or innocuous and and there, and, it, and I still believe most of it is but you know you might need to take a little closer look at it but then the if this is DOS traffic you know it wouldn't necessarily show up as scanning either you targeted it at a specific you know uh, IP address where the firewall sits mm-hmm. in front of it and
0: yep it would be a different alert type for sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Jim, thank you for that segue, and thank you, Colin, for bringing uh, this story to us. Uh, Let's take a quick look at the Internet weather over the last week or so here, and uh, first and foremost, the top 10 most probe ports. Port 23 is uh, still showing a good 75% of the activity, perhaps slightly more. uh, That's been consistent over the last several weeks here. I think we are slightly down from previous weeks. We'll take a little closer look at that. Followed by port 22 TCP, that's uh, SSH, and then followed by 80 TCP, that's web 3389 TCP, that's uh, remote desktop protocol, and then 2323 TCP. We're gonna take a little closer look at that one. There is some activity, although it's not increased from uh, previous weeks, but it certainly is uh, prevalent among these IoT devices. And then followed by 1911 TCP. That's a um, basically that's related to industrial control port. And then 1433 TCP. That's Microsoft's SQL database. Followed by 21 TCP FTP. Uh, That one I think is uh, actually down a little bit, but uh, one that you know obviously you want to be paying attention to any FTP servers you have out there because they tend to be sometimes an unknown treasure trove of information just waiting to be stolen. And then uh, 445 TCP followed by 123 UDP, that'd be a network time protocol. And then looking at the top 10 most sources doing the probing, again, about 75% of it being port 23. I think that was up on the order of about 780,000 sources through the course of the day. It's certainly not the highest we'd seen. We had seen it exceed a million at one point, but it's certainly uh, pretty high and the uh, overall. And then what do you know? The next port showing up here is ICMP Type 3 Code 3. This is looking at it from a scanning point of view, so it's probably not related to the activity that we were talking about. This tends to be backscatter from a denial of service attack. That is, it looks like a source, which would be the target of attack, that's basically screaming back at the sources saying, this port's unreachable, why are you sending this traffic to me? So I generally don't talk about it in the context of this because it is backscatter and uh, we'd have to dig into it a little bit further to really uh, validate what the cause of this. And, and by the way, scanning activity can cause that as well. That is, you know, as scans are hitting ports, they're gonna to uh, tend to reply back to the source that's uh, asking those questions or probing them. Nevertheless, uh, followed by 445 TCP, again, continuing to see the config or activity or things that tend to mimic that sort of activity. So there's certainly other types of scanning on the network looking for uh, devices that might be uh, you know, susceptible to a file sharing attack or something along those lines. Followed by eight ICMP, that's uh, basically a ping requests. And then uh, followed by 80 TCP, that's web activity. 2323, as, as I said, we'll take a little closer look at that. 22 TCP, we'll take a little closer look at that one as well. And then uh, again, some uh, additional ICMP ports showing up here. I should say ICMP types actually. So looking at scan probes and sources on port 23 TCP, uh, as you can see here, looking at the top graph, we are not at the peak in terms of the number of probes that have been taking place. We had peaked out, I guess actually last week, on the order of maybe it was, uh, 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 it was certainly within the last two weeks, on the order of about 7 billion probes per hour. That's, uh, that's a really big number. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that many uh, any time prior in any port in the past. But it is is down to uh, well, roughly about two thirds of what it was previously, so around uh, five billion probes per hour. And then uh, next is the um, on the bottom graph, the number of sources doing that probing, and it's been relatively flat over the last few weeks. Not a significant growth, and not a significant decrease. And uh, as you can see, where it peaked out was just prior to the uh, basically the publication. I, I mean, we talked a little bit about the uh, the attack on Krebs and security and uh, that was a large attack, it kind of brought highlight or highlighted this uh, IoT thing uh, botnet and um, that I think caused a little bit of a decrease in activity or certainly some dispersion of that activity. Looking at scan probes and sources on port 22 TCP, uh, this is the uh, SSH protocol. What I did on the and the probes is averaged it over a 24-hour period. So typically when we show this graph and we're looking at 180 days of activity there are lots and lots and lots of spikes and uh, but y- you know if you kind of blurred your eyes you could si- kind of see that there were some uh, there were some density spikes in there. Well by just putting a 24-hour moving average on the graph here it sort of smooths that out a little bit and uh, gives you a little bit of an idea of what's going on. So it looks like there's basically some sort of a spiking in activity and probing. I think that's actually a research organization that's doing this. So I, I don't know that the spikes are all that significant. But if you look at it, you know, kind of uh, across the, uh, the graph there, it does look like there's a general uptick in the number of probes that are taking place on the port. Again, uh, possibly uh, oriented toward some of these IoT botnets, perhaps diversifying a little bit and, uh, Trying to uh, find devices on port 22 tcb that could be used for attack activities and then on the bottom graph here the number of sources that are probing as you can see there was a little bit of a spike about a week ago uh, that's way over to the right, of the right of the graph and it's sort of um, uh, tapering off and so this has been you know roughly stable now just to put it in the perspective here we're measuring Thousands of devices, where when we were looking, or you know, unique source addresses. Whereas when we were looking at the Telnet graph earlier, we were measuring in hundreds of thousands of devices. So this is two orders of magnitude lower in terms of the number of sources that are doing that probing activity. And looking a little bit more closely at port 2323 TCP. This was uh, actually one that is sometimes used as an alternate port for Telnet. I think to kind of sort of hide in the noise, perhaps. You can only hide so long by using alternate ports. Uh, Nevertheless, this is showing 90 days of activity compared to the 180 days we were looking at previously. Uh, This activity is relatively new. It's only been sort of taking place over the last 60, maybe 70, 80, 70 days or so. And uh, you can see there was a big spike at the beginning and it sort of tapered off toward the end. So it's not as significant as it was before. But still, uh, in this particular case, we're actually looking at more than we saw probing on port 22, that is, looking at the bottom graph, uh, the number of sources up around 5, 10,000, uh, and it's peaked out as high as 50,000, so 55 or so thousand. So certainly, uh, uh, this is a, a case where it's more clearly uh, going after IoT, that is, IoT devices, that, that IoT botnet, uh, going after these devices. Now, uh, I did a little bit of searching on Shodan, found that uh, MikroTik, that's M-I-K-R-O-T-I-K, uh, it's a basically a manufacturer. They have uh, routers in their uh, device repertoire. And uh, some of these apparently are offering a telnet interface on the internet. And uh, there were around, on the order of about tens of thousands of devices that were exposed this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some other things that were using in port 2323 as well, but I think Colin, you did, uh, pointed out that in some of our analysis we'd observed mm-hmm. that um, we had seen denial of service activity coming from devices that showed this correct interface. Yeah, so the Microtech
2: routers, um, some of the IPs that we looked at here, um, had a couple interesting aspects to them. Um, one, reverse uh, recursive DNS open. Mm-hmm. So um, they could be a, um, a reflector yeah. for, dena- for a D, uh, DNS um, um, denial service attack. Mm-hmm. As well, um, they have a bandwidth tester tool exposed. So definitely a lot of potential for these to um, you know, continue the DDoS trend. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and so it's interesting you point out, you know, uh, and, and they are not unique in this sense. There have been a lot of devices that are exposing DNS, a DNS interface, I should say, not necessarily a service, but an interface to the Internet. Mm-hmm and uh, allowing them to be facilitating denial of service attacks through that interface. But uh, generally what they do is they just relay it to their, their real DNS service provider. So it's sort, kind of a loopback interface that is, mm-hmm. they get a DNS request, they loop it right back out to their DNS server provider, mm-hmm. and then the answer comes back. And so it ends up not only being a burden on that device, but it becomes a burden on their DNS service provider. Which uh, can be a little bit of a, I'll say in some cases, is annoyance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess another um, aspect is, you know, it's kind of interesting because when I was doing a little research on this, mm-hmm. I ran across the forum and uh, there was a, uh, a user that was complaining that their device keeps popping up to 100% CPU utilization for no reasonable explanation that they could pick up on. Mm -hmm. And then it would go back to normal. And it was sort of a strange little diagnostic back and forth that was going on in the form. Mm -hmm. So uh, these will be the types of behaviors you'd want to look for. If you have unexplained CPU spikes in your devices, uh, you might want to take a look at what types of activities are going in and out or perhaps what processes are running on your device and using that CPU.
1: And as we've said the last couple of weeks on the show that the Mirai source code that was released in late September. One of the ways that it it, it is one of, is probably what's doing most of the scanning. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. When we saw the source code, it scans for Telnet on both 23 and 2323. So this is mm-hmm. likely mostly Mirai traffic. Uh-huh. And I finally got my honeypot set up, so it is collecting. Uh, login attempts on 2323. So maybe after the first of the year, we'll on the show we'll take a look at what we're seeing there.
0: Okay, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that morphs because as a part of the Mirai uh, source code, I think it did have sort of a list of passwords, you know usernames and passwords, which was perhaps one of the more for the folks that are building these botnets, one of the more valuable aspects of it. It'll be interesting to see how that's morphed in terms of uh, the uh, behavior that we're actually seeing.
1: Yeah, see if it gets beyond that 100 or whatever they add in the source code there.
0: Yeah. Uh, last item we'll mention here is scan probes on port 5632 TCP, and this happens to be a port, the default port associated with PC Anywhere, so that's a, uh, I think, akin to uh, remote desktop protocol. So folks that are using uh, PC Anywhere, you want to make sure that you're not exposing 5632 to the Internet, especially uh, unnecessarily, and especially, especially with any weak passwords on those uh, mm-hmm. devices. We're just looking at 30 days of activity in this graph, so this is relatively recent activity. I think, actually, uh, from the analysis, it appears that most of this activity is from a research organization, and it looks like they did sort of a, a, a sort of a hard scan, and it looks like they're doing uh, basically uh, an update every day or so here. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, I'm not particularly concerned about it from a uh, exploit point of view, but certainly one uh, that folks should be paying attention to but anyway. It is a uh, point of vulnerability. So that's our show for today. We'd like to thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at attthreattrack at list.att.com. And you can find AT&T Threat Track on the AT&T Tech Channel. It's on YouTube as well as on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at atdbusiness. And I'd like to thank you, Jim Clausing, for joining us today. Thank you, Colin Connor, for joining us. And I'm Brian Rexrode. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, keep your network safe. The views expressed on AT and T Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT and T or any other person or entity.